Well, hello and welcome everybody to an episode of EM Over Easy. We are recording here in sunny San Antonio at Cord 18. I'm joined today by uh, an old co-host slash guest who's on the podcast a good bit, John Casey. Yeah, I try. Hello. Hi, everybody. And two new guests that we have with us today. Uh, one of my illustrious senior residents when I was uh, a little budding uh, intern in PGY2, Katie Holmes, is here with us. Katie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. And then we've got one of our uh, up, up and up and coming stars, one of our PGY2s from Doctors Hospital, Greg Tankway. Greg, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, today we wanted to talk about something that John and I actually um, just spoke about it. Um, the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, or AACOM in D.C., a talk that um, I think was pretty well received. People yeah. there didn't boo us. Nobody booed. Nobody walked out during the talk. Oh, that's good. No throwing and, of stuff. And we talked a little bit about how, um, you know, in today's atmosphere, we've got millennial learners. And when people say millennial, like fits of rage come and people get very angry right yeah some people mm. really hate that title too yeah they don't like the the concept yeah of, of a millennial they don't buy it yeah and really the idea that we talked about it at, when we talked today cum was is that rather than being angry about millennials just realize that they're just different learners than, than we were and in doing so we talked a little bit about how in trying to figure out how to teach them best and how to adapt educational models this idea of a hidden curriculum kept coming up when we did our research yep and so that's what we talked about when we did this um, this presentation last week so john just so everybody knows what if you were to say what a hidden curriculum is as a basis what, what would you call it yeah so a hidden curriculum is just this concept in education that curriculum is supposed to be the all-encompassing take you from point a to point b and upon completion of the curriculum you should be ready to ready to go right but the problem is that particularly in residency there are a lot of things you need to learn about how to be a competent physician and how to be a functioning physician that aren't necessarily written down in that curriculum, but somehow they get learned. And so that concept is really the the hidden curriculum, right? And hidden curriculum can be stuff that's extremely small, right? So if you don't have it in your in your like orientation and curriculum, uh where the where the physician's lounge is at, right? Yet everybody knows. Um that that's that's a hidden curriculum, right? There's a way that people find that out. But and, and that's not really so much of a problem necessarily, but what's a real big problem is when something really essential is being taught and you actually don't have control over it. And the problem isn't when it's being taught and being taught well and hidden. The problem is when something changes and then it's not being taught very well anymore. So it's just, it's, it's the thing that's happening to your learners that you didn't plan for. And that can be a real big problem when, when there's a culture shift or a change in the environment. And I, I think it's important to, to one realize that these things exist. You know, this oh is, yeah. And it's not a new term in education. When I actually did some research, it's been well documented since the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not really found its way into medical education because of these robust curriculums that were thought to be all encompassing. Yeah, or or at least thought to be robust curriculum. But I mean, we we see this all the time, right? So there there are opportunities um, that exist where people. Um, look at something and don't think of it as a hidden curriculum but it but it really is right so if you're if your learners uh in the emergency department for example they go through and they do sim lab training on intubation and you have a lecture on it and everything's fine and you go through and you do a, a set of sequences of this is what you do first and this is what you do next but then when they get with you in the resuscitation bay the culture of your department is Everybody goes on BiPAP for 15 minutes, and then instead of using succinylcholine, which is what we taught you, everybody uses rock, and we told you straight blades were the best, but everybody here uses a MAC-3, 
then by the second or third intubation, they're going to be doing what the culture says, but not what they were taught. And that's an example of a hidden curriculum. And then what happens, right, with a hidden curriculum and where it becomes a problem, let's say there's a really messy, failed, bad intubation, and you have to discipline a resident or you want to do education with a resident, and you take them back and you go, Andy, yo, you're my resident. Um, I noticed on that intubation you didn't use a straight blade. And remember in our intern course, like we told you a million times to use a straight blade and you didn't? Why is that? And now what, what ground do I have to stand on as an educator um, to, to help you learn the right thing? Um, and so hidden curriculum is, is, is fine when it works, uh, but it's a dangerous thing to just have laying around. So Greg, as a learner, when you, when you hear what, what, what John and I've been talking about, what, is that, what kind of runs to your mind when you think about hidden curriculum? Yeah, I mean, I... I agree with you know with a lot of things Dr. Casey was saying there. Um, it, the things that you pick up on shift, the things you walk away with, um, aren't always the things that you talk about before shift. You know, before every shift, a lot of times our attendings will ask us, you know, what do you want to focus on today? What are your goals? How do you want to get better? Um, we come up with stuff, kind of prioritize different things to focus on during the shift. Um, and it's kind of funny. A lot of times we don't necessarily walk away with learning those specific points, um, but we learn, you know, maybe, maybe other ways instead of just um, hammering on those those points. For example, you know, maybe we say we want to really focus on metabolic disorders today. So we talk about DKA, we talk about all the intricacies, you know, pH, bicarb, things like that. But maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about how to present that patient to a consultant on the floor. And so maybe I have a particularly challenging conversation with a consultant or the ICU attending, depending on where they need to go. And so my main learning point for that day is maybe how do I present this complex patient with all these issues and the things that I've done for them in the emergency department and not necessarily the the medical kind of aspect of the DKA case itself. So I think we kind of get surprised on what we walk away with each shift. Nice. It's a good, yeah, yeah, definitely a good, good example. And actually, Andy, while we were doing that talk, one of the really one of my favorite slides you had was of the of the person kind of hidden, kind of looking out. I think actually, so Katie and I um, got to train together for a while. Oh, we go way back. We go way Way back. back. Big fans, big (laughs) big mutual fans, and um, and Katie actually is a great example though of kind of what you were talking about, which you kind of alluded to, but Andy, you talked about outright, which is. The learner is always watching, always watching. And um, one thing that I remember about Katie in particular was when you would ask at the end of the shift or talk about things at the end of the shift that she learned, it was very much what you said, Greg. It wasn't like our stated objective today was we were going to talk about DK. We would do that. But Katie would always bring up like, oh, I saw you do this or I heard the nurses talking about this and so I now do this. And that always watching phenomenon um, can really help you identify the hidden curriculum, but also remind you that it's out there. Yeah. And, and, and I think that when, when we talk about it, why it's so important, it's also important to realize that when you make a curriculum change. Yeah. Um, you know, because everybody, we have this idea of we want to change an outcome. So let's just change something that we do, whether it's a rotation or whether it's an education model. <coughs> you actually are going to reveal some of your hidden curriculum when you make that change. And it might not be good. Oh, usually, unfortunately, it's not. And, and you actually find out that, you know, lost in this thing that you thought was kind of worthless was actually something that, you know, your learners were getting that was invaluable that you can't replicate in any other issue. Absolutely. And what's an example of that, you think? You know, we had a class um, of residents that was having a really, well, actually, you know what? 
Actually, you have a really good example. Well, we are one of the best um, classes yes. that ever graduated yeah, yeah, yeah. doctors. No, so. um, one of the stories that, that I always like, I'm proud of um, when I talk to people about you know actually having an impact on somebody is the remember the um, the uh, heroin overdose that came into the trauma bay, and it was very frenetic and and crowded. And uh, everybody was reaching for Narcan and doing all this stuff. And yeah, oh, yes, oh, just, the light of enlightenment. <laughs> yes, the, the, I remember this actually, yeah, just yeah. like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, share it just from your perspective because that, that's where the hidden curriculum kind of manifests. And then I'll give you an example of a current one. So, you mean like what? I remember as what was I like a first or second year I resident? Think you were a brand new Maybe second year. I just really, a little baby yeah. second yeah. year, yeah. growing my wings. Yeah. But I do remember uh, this overdose coming in on a wheelchair, obtunded, slumped over, everyone rushing to try to throw an IV in this gentleman who was still in the chair, blue, slumped over, trying to set up the monitor, whereas a patient still obtunded, blue, and slumped over. There's a lot of blue. There's yeah, a lot of not breathing right. and agonal and blue. And I just remember looking at John Casey, and he just said, where's your Ambu bag? Just bag them up. And I was like, thank you. That is true, because you just got into that protocol mode of IVO2 monitor, and I kind of forgot about the all-important ABC and how simple that can be, uh, when, of course, most of your training was done in the hospital, unlike you had a lot of uh, EMS training, paramedic training before. Uh, you kind of have to step back and think about those things when you're getting too many thoughts all at once in a new environment. Yeah, and and to be fair, in that story, I don't remember you specifically being the only one. Um, it was it, it was, was the just entire, me. It was the entire right. The room, the was weight of the on, world. Yeah, yeah. No, you're so good. The 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 whole point was, you know, everybody was kind of focused at the moment on the wrong thing. And I remember that you came to me like many times after that, talking about how what you were paying attention to was how you kind of cut through the noise and focus on what's the next step. And so you started to have some good transformative change there when you were attacking your resuscitations and you became a resuscitation specialist, as I recall. In that quite, very moment. You were quite, uh, quite the person. So an example, you know, that, that we had at our shop of the hidden curriculum, a group of residents that, you know, we selected in, they were an awesome group and the, um, we started to notice and get a lot of feedback as faculty and uh, senior residents that were working with this group, that they were having a real struggle with resuscitation. And what I specifically mean is they had the cognitive knowledge, they had the book knowledge. You could ask them in SimLab, you could ask them during the code, right? So these were people that knew exactly what steps to do, but they couldn't step up to the plate and run the resuscitation. It was very weird. Right, these are all people that want to do emergency medicine, and first we would be first yeah. time this was ever really noticed as a whole class. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like an individual. It was like it was across the board, right? So that really usually indicates that, yeah, either there's a mathematical oddity that has occurred or something is wrong. And so, you know, we were we were working with individual learners trying to tease out what it was. Right? Is it really a knowledge deficit, and you're covering for it? Is it? Um, that, that we didn't provide enough orientation, that our expectations are clear, right? So we, we ran the whole gamut and everybody was getting frustrated, 
Okay. The residents were rightly frustrated because they were getting feedback that wasn't helpful because we couldn't provide a path to change, right? It's like telling, you know, somebody that you don't like something that there's no way they can change it, right? Like so, that bow on your face. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta work with it. Right. And so, and the faculty were, were equally frustrated because we have a long history of being able to help people out and make them into to great docs, right? So so now we're like, you know, what the fudge? Why can't we get them, you know, why can't we figure this out? And the problem was a hidden curriculum. Imagine that. So it just so happens that that was the first year that um, as we made a transition from our certifying body, um, the hospital went away from the concept of the house officer. Katie remembers the great house officer days. I was a big hoe. That's yes. what it was called. House yes. officer. Oh, shit. Yeah. Quote, ho. I was a hoe. Too. You I, was, were. I was also a hoe. I we remember were. you as a hoe. Everyone here was here was a hoe except for Greg. That's right. Not me. Not Greg, a, you missed out on being a hoe. Yeah. It was It was the, I mean, it not only just the title <laughs> puts you in your place of where you were at in the, the world of medicine, but, you know, and, and everybody understood the term. I mean, that was the worst part, but we digress. Poor hoes. Um, so... The the trick that came around was when people did house officerships, and you guys all remember them, you answered all the floor calls and did all of the admissions. When there was a rapid response at 3 in the morning on the med search floor, you went, and you were the only one that was awake because the, the senior resident, most of the time who was responsible for the ICU, was either busy with, a, with an unstable patient or it was one of those blessed nights where they actually got to sleep for a hot second. Even in the worst cases, you always had two, three, four, five minutes where you had to initiate the resuscitation. Make a decision. You're the one in the room. Right. Whether the decision was uh, call a pharmacist and give more epi or do faster chest compressions or bag them or wake somebody else up or do an Accu check or give them Narcan, whatever it was. And however right or wrong it may have been based on your level of knowledge, um, you had to act, right? And so what we didn't realize was that we, as emergency medicine providers and faculty and chief residents, we actually relied on that to for, for the kind of throw the, the intern off the ship and watch him paddle moment. Mm-hmm. And so what was happening was from the, from the learner's point of view, from the resident's point of view, they were waiting for that moment. They were waiting for, for Dr. Little to be like, you know, hey, Katie, this is your resuscitation. I'm going to be out there. I'll be back in five minutes. Like, oh, uh, wait, huh, what? You know, that, that like, okay, you're doing it. You're the only doc in the room now um, versus the faculty who were kind of uh, and the residents who were waiting in the room kind of not wanting to abandon people but just wanting to see those providers step up to the head of the bed and start managing the patient. So there was a mismatch of expectations, and a lot of it was based on this hidden curriculum. Once we addressed that and kind of started working from attacking that curriculum angle, much better. And the class is excelling. They're doing exactly you know as they need to be, and I think they've kind of come into their own now. Whereas before, it was a really, you know, everybody was frustrated. And it was an example of how this external change demonstrated a hidden curriculum that, that was huge. I mean, huge. We, we really, we were teaching them how to resuscitate, but we weren't teaching them how to run a room. Right. 
So. And when you're put on the spot as the house officer, the reason you stepped up is because you were the only person there. And so it was either you or nothing. Yep. As opposed to in the emergency department, you couldn't help but not really be able to find your voice right away because you felt like I'm surrounded by three or four other physicians in this room and very skilled people. So you get a little bit more quiet yeah. and you don't feel as confident or pushed over the edge to just do it now. Yeah. And you make such a good point. It's not just, it's not just the other physicians in the room, right? The nurses in the room. I mean, they've been doing emergency medicine for, t- they right. all know what the next five things that are going to be done are. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. how intimidating is that? Yeah, I think that brings up a good point. You mentioned how um, to actually address this problem and find the deficiency. We, you know, you had to maintain an open line of communication. And I think anytime you start a curriculum, change a curriculum, really anything you're doing in your residency program or or body of work, it's important to have a plan of how you're going to reevaluate, reassess what what we've changed, and is it working? Is it not working? You know, just as importantly, um, are the the changes we made are they getting us obtaining the goals that we intended for them to to maintain? Um, I think it's important. And then that example, you know, being at the hospital, being a part of that example, <laughs> yeah. um, it was important to, Wait, you know, that up. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. caught the subtle hints, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's important to maintain those lines of communication, talk with your senior residents, talk with faculty, um, and try to figure out, you know, why this particular class wasn't quite at the point where we, they expected, were expected to be, you know, by that point in the year. So yeah. how do you feel like you go about finding the hidden curriculum that is the cause maybe of this learning deficit that you notice? Well, to me, it's the idea that you've got to realize that it's typically not just one thing. Um, we were lucky in this one instance that we could tie it to one specific kind of change. We changed this and that, that was the outcome. Um, but I think like Greg said, you have to be willing to actually engage with your learners and ask them where they feel like we're coming from. Um, so I think that was a big crucial part of us realizing what the problem was. And then it's also just really getting multiple people involved. Because when we decided to come up with a solution for this, it wasn't just John parading around. Oh, no. It was our, a team of us got together. And yeah, program to effort. Out, like, Interesting. Um, and it was really just the idea that this was not one person's job to solve. It was the program's job to solve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we enlisted not just from one learner, but from multiple learners. And uh, it really just kind of came at it from all sides. And it is important because you, especially going through it yourself uh, from the program, you feel like you have a good understanding. But at the uh, emergency residency I'm at now at John Peter Smith, we have a program evaluation committee. And so we have not only faculty, but also a representative from each class. And we we meet and have a very detail-oriented uh, agenda on what we're going to address, what's working, what's not. And if it's not, why and how can we change it tomorrow uh, and so I think it's important, like you were saying, to kind of bring awareness to the issues and what could possibly be doing it, even if it's the intern bringing it to your attention over people who've been there since the beginning of the program. And, and for me, the big, the big thing to take away from Hidden uh, Curriculums is one, they exist. You know, just accept the fact that they exist. Um, two, be willing to address them when, when they happen, because you're going to find deficits and it's important to, to address them. And like Katie said, bring it from all sides, you know, include the learners, because you guys have a different perspective than, than teachers do. Because we think that, well, I just taught you something you should have learned it. And it's not really that, not always that way. No. Sounds an awful lot like fundamental attribution error. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of this ties into other stuff. That's it, does. it does. Um, and then it's, when you when you go to tackle it, make calculated changes. And then always check back to make sure that what right. you're actually trying to teach people is being heard. Absolutely. Okay. And, and that really is a, a huge component is um, keeping that open mind. Like when you have a... Um, 
you know, one of the things that it really uh, taught me as a as a educator and as an administrator, um, and I kind of already knew, right? But it really reinforced and made it practical for me was when you have a when you have a problem provider or problem resident or you know that you perceive to be a problem at least problem resident i'm sitting right here dr yeah, casey you right don't have there. to say it to my face <laughs> not really we just not make eye contact just <laughs> avert gaze no whenever you do have that you know and, and you can extend that wherever you want problem student problem learner right step away and recognize that in the whole host of things maybe there's a hidden curriculum that uh, that 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 is playing, and again, you know, another really simple case that that we see all the time, and I know you see now as faculty, uh, Katie, is you have students that come through from different schools, right? Right. Notice a curriculum difference in some of them. Completely. Yeah. Right. You have some students that come in, and you're like, "Hey, can you sew that wound? Can you, you know, intubate? Can you uh, do a lumbar puncture?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, we do practicals all the time, and it's super easy." And then you have people that come in and you go, "Hey, can you sew that wound? Can you intubate?" And they go, "But you don't know how to how to do a a awful stitch. You've never actually done that before." That can be really off putting unless you you frame that right, you know, properly. Well, guys, I appreciate appreciate you guys coming on the show. This has opened up, I think, a couple other episodes that we can do in terms of having this discussion. Katie, thanks so much for your. It's a pleasure to be here with the famous EM Over Easy podcast, run by some of my favorite ER doctors. And Greg, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've been been edging to get on. I am. I'm excited to be included. It's great. So until next time, guys, don't forget to follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and our other various social media. You got the, you got the phone.